0: Hello, my name is Clara and I'm Liza and you're listening to a little segment about the politics of location. We are both students at the Department of Gender Studies here at the LSE and we study gender and sexuality Um, and today we want to talk about the politics of location which is basically the idea that your physical location impacts the way that you think and the way that you produce knowledge and the way that you might do politics and that is because your social location and your spatial location are very much related. Um, as Adrian Rich said, a place on the map is also a place in history. So today we want to talk about the implications of that and the questions that we have been asking ourselves regarding this. I'm going to talk about Adrian Rich a bit longer because she wrote a very interesting and very important piece which is called The Politics of Location. And she basically describes the idea as something... That is necessary from her perspective as a white woman and feminist to acknowledge her whiteness in order to understand her own privilege when she is writing and talking about feminism. And the important bit is that all of us need to acknowledge where we come from because we don't have universal experiences. There is no universal experience that counts for all people. And when I say we, the question is also who is we? Who do I talk about? When I talk about us.
1: Yeah, so I mean, we includes me, includes Clara, includes anyone. And also, thinking about location, I'm sat in the UK, I'm sat in LSE, like the fact that I'm here implies, like, possibly, like, some socioeconomic circumstances that, like,
0: you know. And a lot of privilege. Right,
1: exactly. So the fact that, like, I'm very middle class and, like, have been grown up in the UK and, like, that put me in, like, a good high school that then, like, put me in a good university that no one had ever heard about, but that got me to LSE. <laughs> you know, like, the, the reality is if I hadn't gone to the grammar school that I went to, I wouldn't have heard about a free university in the Middle East, you know, that was, like... So, yeah, so I think it's, like, the kind of what you were saying about the social location and the physical location, how they're intertwined. Like, it's easy to think about the fact that, like, just because we're sat in, like, a recording booth at LSE like, implies a lot of information. Not necessarily, though, right? Like, there are people who... um you know, like obviously have very different yeah, experiences exactly. from
0: us. Right. And even you and I have right. very different experiences. Yeah, totally. I grew up in Germany, and I came here, and this is the first time for me to study in the UK, mm. as is for you, obviously, in academia. Oh, yeah. But you went to school here. I didn't. This right. is not my first language. It's very difficult for me sometimes to understand everything and to write the essays that we have to write, and that definitely influences the way that I think about the way we do research. Right.
1: And so we can't. I can't look at you and assume... Because, like, you speak fluent English that I understand, like, what it is to, for you to be writing an essay. But equally, um, I can say I know because of myself, like, where, like, the, the life events that happen that, like, places me here, you know, and how does that impact and how should that frame the way that I approach things am I getting the politics of location right
0: I think so yes but Liza I know you're writing this essay do you want to talk about that a little bit
1: yeah so like I think a really good example of the politics of location is that I'm in a class called bodies cultures and politics I have to write about kind of bodies right like the name implies um and so I read this amazing piece called phenomenology of whiteness by Sarah Ahmed that was looking at the experiences of, like, white institutions are predominantly white, right? So LSE is a great example. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a predominantly white institution. Like, it's thinking about it in ways that, like, the very presence of white bodies, like, becomes a border, like, for people who are non-white. And so having recently read Roxane Gay's Hunger, I decided to do that. um, And having, like, a very good friend who's so tied into teaching people about fat stigma and fat activism and, like, the experience of fat bodies... I decided to do that but like when I was first conceiving of the idea I really wanted to speak to her and be like you know what does it mean for me as like a normatively sized person which is you know to say that like I'm a UK size 10 and I have been for my entire adult life and you know like the experiences that Roxane Gay is writing about which is not experiences I've ever had like airplanes are uncomfortable for most people but there's a very specific experience about like she writes about you know the the seat is like in some ways like prohibitively small and then reactions of other passengers like when they realize that they're sat next to her and so then she has to buy two seats but she's paid twice as much money because of the realities of having a fat body and so it's been a really challenging experience and it's something that um like in effect I am talking speaking for other people um, and so I followed like there's Judith three, for example, who writes about speaking of other people. And like one of the things that she says is about acknowledging location, but that it's actually something that we can't even necessarily do just by ourselves. Talk to other people because they will have perspectives on your location that you won't because you know like I just don't have those experiences and I can't possibly claim to and I think there's such a big risk of othering you know like just by virtue of the fact that I'm not a we I can't say you know like we as people with fat bodies in the same way that like many of the sources that I'm using do they say you know we or my experiences you know these people spoke about like being perceived as a problem in the world for example you know, I don't have that experience and I couldn't possibly claim to. Um, And I think for an essay, I mean, I just have to hand something in, right? Like, it's a formative, hopefully it will become a summative. But, which, you know, I've like done some interrogation, like I don't think it comes from, for example, Ruth talks about the impetus to speak and like, why are you the one who wants to speak? And often that comes from the location of if you possess privilege, um, you've already kind of been given the right to speak you know, you've learned your whole life. And I think to speak for you, as women, we both in some ways maybe come up against that relative to men who've been taught in class, for example. Like, I once had a professor who would, if a female and a male student both put their hands up, he would always choose the female student to try and redress the balance about the way that, like, That's men really cool. have learned, always have that. But, yeah, so, like, kind of returning to that, based on your location, you might feel that you have more of a right to speak or you might withdraw, right? So you might go, oh, I've been taught my whole life, that I shouldn't insert myself into situations where I don't have the right to take up space. And so if I was to stretch out writing one essay about fat stigma, like, let's draw it out and be like, I become the authority on fat stigma. I shouldn't be the authority. That would be a problem if I if I was the voice of fat stigma, someone who I've never experienced that. And so in this essay, as I'm writing about their experiences, I have to recognise that like I'm using someone else's voice to, to explore this topic.
0: And also to make a point. Okay, so... I think that's a really good example because the politics of location is often misunderstood as trying to take yourself out of every situation in which you speak about a group that you're not part of. Mm. But then what we also have to acknowledge is that even if you're part of a group, there is no way that you can speak for everyone from that group. Rich also says there is no faceless classless raceless category right. of all women yeah
1: so exactly like, even
0: within the group of women there's a lot of diversity yeah. even within the group of queer women there's a lot of diversity right, exactly and queer women of color still a lot of diversity there's so much individuality that comes into this yeah. and i think it's very important to just kind of be aware that there is no way that you can speak for everyone but that doesn't mean that that it's ever a good option to just not speak up at all yeah
1: Linda Alcoff writes about retreat. Um, and so she talks about how retreat, the danger of it is being like, you know, I shouldn't speak for anyone. And then you retreat into, I think she calls it, like a narcissistic yuppie lifestyle where they take no <laughs> responsibility for your society. Um And so in my essay, I was like, this is my flawed attempt at taking responsibility for society. And, you know, the danger is, particularly if you occupy a position of privilege, is like, oh, I shouldn't speak because that would be problematic. And then being like, so I'm just not going to engage for this at all, right? And does nothing to change the hierarchies in there. Um, Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think what you do, what is very important, is you use a lot of literature by fat people. Right. And you speak to, like, the fat people that you know and your fat friends about what the experience is we've had conversations about this and i think that's really important to do because you want to amplify the experiences of these people who might be marginalized right
1: exactly and like how do you do that responsibly thank you um it's really difficult you know there's no like blueprint for like so alcoff provides a kind of like you know you talk about the politics of location like you situate yourself you try and take a massive thing I think is accountability and responsibility so I'm sure there are times that I'm going to slip up right and like I can I checked in with my friend yesterday and was just like hey how do we feel about the word fatness because I'm not using the term fat in a judgmental way at all and there's like a lot of sources out there from fat activists and academic scholars in fat studies who say like fat is the I think the presence of adipose tissue but it's like the embodied reality of but there are ways in which that like just by using the term fat and not occupying that body I have to make sure that I'm very clear about the fact that I'm not doing it judgmentally but also if something sounds judgmental and someone says this sounds judgmental I have to take responsibility for that and be like okay maybe I didn't mean it to be consciously but I've internalized a lot of fat stigma as so many of us have and I can't just say, oh, no, like, I didn't mean to be judgmental. That's not my problem. By writing about this and by engaging in a topic, you've just got to take responsibility for the things you say. Recognise that we're flawed and, like, learn from the experience. And like, it's not easy. But there's people who've, been, who've done a lot of thinking about this, like, right? Like, Rich has, like, <coughs> done an amazing amount to kind of highlight the problems, like Alcoff, Ruth. Yeah, and then follow that. Like, really pay attention to people's experiences. Recognise that their experiences, their experiences. To return to the point you were saying about like the kind of diversity, the only way you can ever fully speak for the generalizability that like you're not going like, to somewhat homogenise is if
0: you speak for yourself.
1: Right. There's so many different factors.
0: But then I think it's also really important to recognise the time that you're in at the moment because obviously you change.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if that's I write true. something now yeah. that is
0: absolutely true for me right now.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And I've I revisit it in that. twenty
0: years time. Yeah, I might not feel the same way. I probably will not feel the same way.
1: Right, and that's locating it. Right, so that's exactly. the politics of location. Exactly. It's like in the year two thousand and nineteen, based on what I understand, having you know now done or what about halfway through our masters. This is what I understand like, my perspective to be. But, yeah, no, you're totally right. So, yeah, just being really honest about that. So in this essay, for example, I'm kind of leaning on these four sources. And So Roxane Gay is an African-American woman. Stephanie Yeboah is a black British woman. Charlotte Cooper's from the UK and she's white. And then, like, Sophie Hagen is uh, Danish and she's white as well. The Stephanie Yeboah and Sophie Hagen were two talks I went to. Um... Sophie Hagen was like, I'm white. You know, like, I have a lot of fat stigma, but I have to recognise the fact that my experiences are still informed by being a white woman, like a white fat woman. And like in Roxane Gay's book, it comes up time and time again about the fact that she's black and the way that that interplays with being a fat woman to change her experiences. And Stephanie Yeboah brought it up and was like, as a black plus size blogger, that has brings about its own very specific and so Ubo's experience isn't going to be Gay's experience isn't going to be Hagen's experience isn't going to be Cooper's but you know there's like there are threads that I'm sure that they can share or it seems like that they can share based on like very limited sample right I'm going off a couple of 20 minute talks and a book two books so again like recognising that what they said in that 20 minutes isn't the entire truth about them it's just a snapshot of their experiences it's not even the entire truth about living with a fat body for them So, yeah, so it's just difficult, (laughs) but not trying to say that it's more than it is, you know, just being like based on this kind of limited frame in which I have access to these are the kind of conclusions I'm drawing based on, like, putting it into conversation with, you know, Sarah Ahmed's piece, but, like, I'm not going to pretend like I, like, understand their lives or their experiences just because I wrote this one essay. I think that's kind of the politics of location.
0: And what you said earlier about situating your knowledge is a very, very important concept for this conversation, right? Uh, Donna Haraway coined this concept where she basically says that objectivity can never be produced from a point at the center of society that doesn't acknowledge it. Mm. So she claims that objectivity, well, objectivity generally is a problematic concept in itself, right? Mm. Because it claims universality. But then she says that objectivity can only be approximated when we situate our knowledge, when we specifically interrogate what our position is. And interrogate how that influences the knowledge that we produce. Yeah. And I think that is just very important for all of these conversations to kind of be aware that not all knowledge is the same. Right. And it can't be. And it shouldn't be. And it doesn't have to be.
1: Yeah. And I think there is a risk that the way that objectivity is um, perceived as like we can ever fully remove ourselves from the research process... But the reality is what we think of as objectivity is people not having to situate themselves, right? Because, like, of the way it's structured Mm -hmm. Um, and how alienating that becomes. If your experiences don't line up with that, like, that automatically makes it seem like it's outside of the realms of objectivity. But, you know, my boyfriends are mathematician it's really hard to have these conversations right I think people could more easily wrap their head around it with something like um social science for example where it's easier to understand why bias and and things like that might come into the process but he'll go like but maths is completely objective it's just numbers (laughs) and then the thing that really spoke to me was about the fact that even the the questions that you choose to look at are informed by your experience, right? And so, like, yes, it's just numbers, but what you choose to examine, what you choose to do with those numbers, that's still coming from where you are at. And that's where you still have to situate yourself. Even just be, am I getting really right? Yes, absolutely. And I think even just, just considering
0: around. the temporality of sciences such as mathematics, mm. I think the methods they use have changed a lot over time, mm. right? So... What might be objectively seen as a truth now wasn't objectively seen as a truth 100 years ago. Right, and we're like, maybe I don't know anything about math, but I assume that that's how
1: it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, um, so there's this really, I used to be a math nerd like once upon a time, and there's this really interesting book about this guy who solved like Fermat's last theorem, which was like the thing that nobody could solve. But the reality is, is that basically the first time he thought he'd done it, he hadn't done it. And then the second time he did it, um, someone had done something... I'm doing such a terrible job explaining this because clearly it's been very long time <laughs> since I did maths. But basically there was like a step in the process of his proof that someone had proved in the in-between time... Right? And so, like, you know, in some ways, like, we could say the politics of his location is the fact that, like, he needed that step to come before him Mm. and has to acknowledge that. And he does. And that's a fantastic book by Simon Singh. That Again, it's been a very long time since I've read it. So if I'm getting anything about this story wrong, I (laughs) recognise I have a terrible memory. Uh, That's me locating myself. (laughs) But... But, yeah, but, like, that's something where, like, something that, like, se- is seemingly super objective, like, maths. Like, that's still, like, within, like, a temporal and geographical context that, like, he needed something to come before it. And, you know? Absolutely. And that he couldn't have done it by himself. Like, maybe he would have done that step. But, like, you know, there's so much that, like, informs what comes next, like, knowing that locates you in some ways. Like, it's part of the process. Not that my kids are tick box and I'm like, I've located myself. And there's a danger, right, that I go, okay, like, I'm a white woman who's from a middle-class part of Britain.
0: And now I'm going to write about black women's experiences. Right, exactly. And, like, today I've done, you works. know, like, I've done <laughs> my,
1: like, hard work. and Rather than actually going, like, well, Yeah, yeah
0: there has to be an actual process of reflexivity right. that is exactly. included in the research that you yeah, do. Or yeah. also in the activism that you do.
1: yeah. You don't want
0: to just go and speak for people at a rally or something. Right. You want to actually make sure that you invite the people who have the experiences without putting all the labor on them. Yeah. Yeah but using your privilege and your organisation that you might have right. in order to amplify their voices, right? That's yeah. what you want to do.
1: And I think it's so worth saying that, so I, one of my summatives that I did over Christmas, one of the arguments I was making is that we can't put this just on the marginalised, right? And then I said, but am I coming to this conclusion? Because in many aspects of my life, I'm not marginalised. And so I kind of had to be like, maybe that's a problematic conclusion to come to, because I'm just being like, but what can we do? was worried that it came across as that and then the feedback I got like in the rest of the essay a lot of the feedback was good but they were like it sounded really defensive and I think it, it's like at first I was like that really like upset me because I was like I felt like I'd put a lot of effort into like locating myself and funnily enough I then was like I wasn't trying to be defensive which is the most <laughs> defensive thing you can do but then actually drawing back and being like okay I sounded defensive this is a really hard thing to do and so yeah, like and acknowledge
0: like, your
1: right and difficulties
0: so, that you might have with that
1: Exactly, and just being like, okay, like, I, you know, I tried to do it, it didn't work this time, and I think we've seen from so much of the reading that we do, people aren't good at this, because it's really hard, but that's okay that it's hard, and it's okay that we're all trying, and the idea is that we'll just hopefully keep getting better, and I think that's why, like, talking to other people really helps, and being like, what am I missing? Like, how does this sound? If someone had read it before who maybe knew a bit more about the politics of location they might have been like yeah you sound offensive the way that you phrased it you could phrase it differently and it comes across differently I find this fascinating so
0: yeah me too it's a very very big topic and we cannot in any way do right. it justice and in this like, short skimmed segment and we the
1: surface of like yeah, what it yeah so
0: there's so many concepts I hope it's interested yeah. the listeners in a way that they might want to read up on it. Important pieces here would be yeah. Rich's Politics of Location, I also think Donna I'm Haraway's miscited, Situation, yeah. Knowledge.
1: <laughs> I think I miscited Roof as Alcoff. I mean, Alcoff is Roof, so apologies to Linda <laughs> uh, Anyway, um, I think that's everything. I think
0: that's that. Yeah, I think that's it. Thank you for listening.